0: <laughs> she
1: won't let anybody listen to his voice <laughs> no no i won't it's great i like it let the let the meat cake you know let the people <laughs> let
0: the meat cake what? what's that even mean you guys relax i'm just letting my meat cake real quick you just sometimes you just gotta sit Not down. Meat cake. You I just gotta eat. sit down, relax, and let your meat cake a little bit. Don't let them eat cake. Oh. I thought you said let the meat cake. I'm like, what does that mean? I feel like I know what it means, but it feels a little dangerous to let my mind go there. Sometimes every once in a while life gets life moves fast and you just gotta let your meat cake a little bit. Oh, goodness. Meat cake by Dylan and Michaela.
1: No. No.
0: You are not allowed to listen to that. <laughs> Stop it.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, another thing I like about the Enneagram, just to make this super official. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Evening, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Everyone Is Cancelled with Michaela McDonald from Love Signals and Dylan Randall. This show is fictional, it's not real. We are imaginary in your head. Obey the laws in your country and listen to your doctor. And if your doctor approves, you indeed get a prescription to do this, and you ask your local senator if it's legal. Go fuck yourself. Hi, honey. Hi. We have a very special episode today.
1: Was that Jack Nicholson or or Batman? Or...
0: I'm not Jack Nicholson.
1: <laughs> you're not?
0: A lot of people confuse me with being Jack Nicholson, but I am indeed Dylan Randall. Mm. Good. <laughs> one man. One world. One chance this summer. <laughs> coming to a theater near you. If you're vaccinated. <laughs> You motherfuckers. You will all die if you do not get vaccinated. We're not allowed to find the facts out still. Oh, they did release it. Didn't Johnson, one of those companies tried locking away all the side effects for like 75 years, and didn't it recently get overturned in court? Yeah,
1: but they're they're still releasing it in batches. I mean, batches of hundreds of pages at a time, I believe. But yeah, the court was like, nah, you got to release it. I don't know why it has to be released incrementally. Like, what? We're going to get an overdose of reading too many pages of... Data? Like, what? Why? why? I don't know. I don't know what that's about.
0: Stop asking questions. Take the vaccine. You don't need to know what it does to your body. Yeah. Coming to a pharmacy near you. <laughs> they have like the third booster shot out now, I think. Second or third? Yeah. I can't keep up at this point.
1: I, yeah, I stopped paying attention.
0: This show is not about vaccines. Listen to your doctor. Obey the laws in your country. This show is <laughs> actually about
1: Da, 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 da.
0: Enneagrams not being canceled. <laughs> not Annie's macaroni. Enneagrams.
1: Enneagram. 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 It's
0: spelled with an e, but they say it's <laughs> it's pronounced enneagram. I think
1: we should just spend five minutes saying it back and forth to each other. Enneagram.
0: It's not an Emmy.
1: Enneagram.
0: Will Smith did not <laughs> slap anybody at this award show.
1: No, but so the enneagram e n n e a g r a m. Is this, I'm going to read the definition for you all.
0: Michaela's going to explain it. This oh. is actually a fascinating thing. And yeah, I want you, you guys to hear about it.
1: Why do you even want to talk about it, Dylan? Why do you even it's want to it? It's fascinating.
0: When Michaela here. and I first started dating, she wanted to know if I knew about something called the Enneagram. And I said, what is this? And she says, it helps you find your personality type. And I said, keep it away from me. I will never be diagnosed again. Don't put me in a box. Don't put me in a box. And she said, well, you're an eight.
1: No, I didn't. I
0: know. <laughs> well, that's a very eight thing of you to say, my friend.
1: No, I didn't. I was like,
0: Whoa. Millions and billions of people, they, they <laughs> took this Enneagram. I'm not going to lie. I took it. It turned out I was an eight. I'll tell you, he was not an eight. It's Sleepy Joe. He would never take the test, even if it was right in front of him.
1: Uh, I don't think he'd be able to retain consciousness long enough to take it.
0: I don't think he knows where he is. I yeah. Anyways, the Enneagram types your personality, and it's really fascinating because I don't really put a lot of weight into like astrology, even though it's become more interesting to me. I think a lot of Not those because of me. <laughs> I think it's a lot of those things are built to tell people things that are so general that anybody could believe it and be like, "Oh, that's me." Mm. But the thing that separates the Enneagram, which by the way is so ancient, they don't even know where it originated. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that makes it so unique is there's nine personality types. And you can have wings, so you could be like a nine with an eight wing or a nine with a one wing. And um, what makes it so fascinating is they are all so separate. So when we did these tests and Michaela walked me through what this is, there were some things in some of the personality tests, I'm like, that is not me. It's not me. And it was so distinctive that when you really nail down what you are, your personality type, I really resonated. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a pretty sound guy when it comes to Being able to objectively look at things as to how much they resonate or not. Yeah. I enjoy calling things out and I have to give credit where credit's due. A lot of things resonated with me and what made it interesting is when I kind of figured out, because her friends at the wedding kind of, they typed me, which you're not supposed to do. Yeah,
1: well, I I said, you know. But I loved it. Because my friends and I have been into the Enneagram since I was like a teenager. Well, I've been into the Enneagram since I was a kid because my mom and dad were into it before I was even born. And uh, so I grew up around some You're books. so pretty,
0: by the way. <laughs> we started this podcast, and you literally got cuter Dylan. as it went on. Dylan. I wish you guys could see her. I wish this was on video. Maybe we should start doing it just so we could. My eyes are breaking.
1: I'm blushing. Thank you. Yes. You're so sweet. I love you.
0: I love you. <laughs> Thank
1: you. I lost track of what I was saying. Though, what was I saying? It was really important and beautiful.
0: Your mom and dad were into the enneagram <laughs> oh, before yes. you were even born. Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you.
0: <laughs> and when we were talking about the wedding. <laughs> yeah.
1: like. Yes. So, so in high school, um, my friends and I all got really into the enneagram, and we were trying to figure out what type we were. And we'd bring books to school and and do like the tests that are in the books and read the chapters on the different types. And oh, well, I think this person's this with this and da 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 da. And uh, and so it's and a lot of my friends have continued to deepen they um, learning about the Enneagram. And so a few of them were like, Oh, what do you think Dylan is? And, uh, and I said, Oh, well, I kind of think he's this member, but I, I, we haven't really done the test yet and I'm kind of waiting. And then, um, they were just talking about the merits of the Enneagram and how it's so valuable because it's rather than it being like, this is who you are and this is how you are. It really looks at what motivates people? Like what are the motives behind your behavior and like how you see the world and what are you trying to move towards? Like what, what's, your, um, what's your goal and how you're operating in life? And um, and so it was cool because I, I said the number eight. I was like, oh, he might be an eight. And then my friends were able to ask him questions based on uh, things that r- relate to that number. And Dylan was like, wow, that really, yeah, that yes. Absolutely, that resonates. and stuff that I don't even I'm not even aware of. A lot of my friends are I do
0: feel like I'm in charge of everyone at this table.
1: <laughs> was that one of the questions?
0: No, that was that was my answer. To
1: oh my you're like, whatever you're saying, I just know that I'm in charge right now. I do feel
0: like I'm all of your bosses.
1: <laughs> um, so okay. I'm a
0: powerful man.
1: <laughs> yes, you are, darling. So I'm going to read the little description um, from this book that I've had for years and years called The Enneagram Made Easy, which is, on one hand, a rather reductionist view of this whole model because it's very intricate and very vast, and there's been very thick books published about it, and I love those as well. But this is just a fun one because it's got little cartoons and comics, and it's uh, it's a very warm, welcoming intro. So the way they describe the Enneagram is a study of the nine basic types of people, It explains why we behave the way we do, and it points to specific directions for individual growth. It is an important tool for improving relationships with family, friends, and coworkers. The roots of the Enneagram go back many centuries. Its exact origin is not known, but it is believed to have been taught orally in secret Sufi brotherhoods in the Middle East. And then the Russian mystical teacher, G.I., I'm going to mess up this name, Gurdjieff, (laughs) <laughs> we'll see. In, Gorbachev. No, 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 There's more D and G and I's in it. <laughs> uh, introduced it to Europe in the 1920s, and then it arrived in the US in the 1960s. And then there's so, so there's nine basic types. There's nine basic types, you guys. Nine people. <laughs> no. Nine rings to rule them all. Is that, is it nine? <laughs> did I, oh, did I just, I think that's it. Did I just successfully do a Lord of the Rings reference? Yes. That was so sleuth of me. I shouldn't have named it, shouldn't have called it out. She's so cool. I'm I'm a late bloomer when it comes to enjoying you Lord are of the so Rings. Pretty Dylan, right simmer now simmer down. <laughs> we don't usually record in the evening, and Dylan's hungry. And I think I'm nicely backlit by the sunset right now. I think that's what's happening. I mean, I am. You know,
0: we went out to lunch at a great place in Pioneer Town near Joshua Tree called Pappy and Harriet's, and we had a little taquila, and
1: just the tiniest.
0: Well, this is a really tiny amount. 42 shots max. But it's cool because it's like this cowboy town that they shot all those 50s and 60s westerns in that you probably have all seen. And they turned a huge giant cowboy set, a western town, into like restaurants. And so we ate mm-hmm. there with some family and it was delightful. It was. So we're in good spirits as we always are.
1: We are. Yes. Um, okay, so shall I go over the description of the nine types? Yes. Yeah? Should we start with the eight because that's the most important one? For this show at least. Everyone is canceled.
0: Let's 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 start with 1 and work up to the 8. And then the 9. Yeah, we're saving the best for last because you truly are.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So, uh a brief description of the nine types. 1, perfectionists are so the ones are called perfectionists, just as like an easy way to refer to them. Um They are realistic, conscientious, and principled. They strive to live up to their high ideals. Also, I I have a lot of friends who are ones, and they uh, really see things in, like, black and white. Like, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this, and I want to do it the right way. And they can put a lot of pressure on themselves as well as the world. They can be a little neurotic. (laughs) There's that, too. Um, Okay, twos are also known as helpers, and they're warm, concerned, nurturing, and really sensitive to other people's needs. Twos can be such sweet people, but sometimes they can um, kind of overextend themselves uh, because they're so oriented to like making sure everybody else is okay. Threes, also known as achievers, are energetic, optimistic, self-assured, and goal-oriented. These are also the people who are super focused on career a lot of the time and kind of their image in the world. Fours are also known as romantics and they have very sensitive feelings. They're very warm. They're very perceptive and they're often very creative. They kind of live in like the, the more emotional, um, dimensional kind of areas of thought and feeling.
0: We still don't know if I'm more of a four. I think I'm an eight. I
1: think you're an eight. I think eights and fours can sometimes be confused with each other because they're both, they're kind of both intense in certain ways. Um. Well, we'll get to his results soon. Fives, also known as observers, have a need for knowledge and are often more introverted, curious, analytical, and insightful. So they they like to sit back and observe and kind of understand things from afar and analyze the details of things. Uh, sixes are also known as questioners. They're responsible, trustworthy, very loyal. Their personalities range broadly from reserved to... Uh, very outspoken. So there's kind of like almost two versions of the six as I've gone deeper into this. Side note, one of my very favorite podcasts, besides yours, is called Sleeping at Last. And that musician did a whole series on the Enneagram where he does an episode for each number. And he wrote a song for each number that's kind of based on um, his understanding of one, And he has uh, musicians join him on each track that like, identify as those different numbers, which is pretty cool. Um, And, okay, sevens. My mom is a seven, so that's fun. They are the adventurers, and they are energetic, lively, and optimistic. They want to contribute to the world, and they're very – they just, like, want to have fun, and, like, they're very dynamic, and they are always kind of looking for the next thing. Eights, which is possibly what Dylan is, are also known as the asserters. They're direct, self-reliant, self-confident, and protective.
0: And handsome.
1: And um, yes, I mean, you're handsome. I don't know if all eights are.
0: I'm the only eight.
1: Objectively (laughs) 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 handsome. Okay. And nines are also known as peacemakers. They are receptive, good-natured, and supportive. They seek union with others and the world around them. And I'm a nine. I've thought I was other numbers throughout my life, but that's actually kind of a nine thing to do. Um, So anyway, that's the overview. One through nine. There's Nine types, and they interact with each other in different ways. We don't want to get overly complicated on this podcast. We just wanted to introduce the topic.
0: I think it's so interesting because whether you like it or not, I want you to go take the test online and try to figure out what you are. Because I guarantee if you take the time... To look this stuff up, not only are you going to learn something about yourself, but you're going to learn something about humanity, too. Maybe there's a boss at work you don't get along with. But if you read through this, you might understand, oh, that's kind of where they're coming from. And I can see where I'm coming from. Maybe this is a weakness of mine. Maybe it's a weakness of theirs. Maybe both of yours. But just by doing this, it can help you not only understand yourself, but deeply have an understanding of those you really don't get. Those people that you just look at them and say, I don't get it. How could they possibly act this way? They're just so much different than I am. Well, the Enneagram kind of explains that. It helps you understand the insights and the perspectives of those who are different than yourself. And it can kind of give you some love for people that you don't understand. Because those who are different than us, we often learn to hate. And sometimes uh, that's a mechanism of survival. Maybe sometimes there's warrant to that. Maybe not hate, but just distance. You know, if somebody's violent, something like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, especially in work environments when you don't understand somebody, you don't have to be their best friends, but you can make life easier even just for yourself and those around you as a side effect by understanding the dynamics of what's really going on there.
1: Yeah. I love that you pointed that out. I think that is one of the greatest gifts of this is... um, We all live in our own perceptions and our own kind of orientations to the world. And I think it can be easy to assume that everybody else thinks the way we think or sees things the way we see them or values the same things we value. And um, it's really helpful to not just consider, oh, maybe people value things differently or see things differently, but to even have very specific examples of like the twos. Oh, they're oriented around this very specific thing and this is what they're goal is, this is what's important to them, uh, no matter what scenario they're in. And I love that it can basically just create more understanding and more curiosity, too, about just how, pe- how people are. Like, wow, uh, people are different and, and value things that are different than me. And how cool is that? It actually, I, I've, I've found a lot of peace in it. And it's helped me to feel closer to a lot of my friends once I've understood their type and we've been able to kind of talk about our experience from that lens. And I will say, you know, we're also unique still. I don't and I don't actually think the the enneagram erases any of the uniqueness of individuals. There's actually a lot of room for that. And I really appreciate that too.
0: Yeah, and then even from a relationship perspective. Michaela and I understand each other in our hearts very well and we love talking. It's one of it's something we really enjoy is exploring life together. Mm-hmm you know whether we're out and about exploring a new area going to Texas mm-hmm. the northeast or we're just exploring life sort of conversationally mm-hmm. and we enjoy talking about hypotheticals uh ways we can make the world better and mm-hmm. we we discover a lot about each other through that and the nice thing about that is you can only make that better by sort of having fun like we went through the enneagram and went through each other's types Mm -hmm. and the things that that type does like and doesn't like and you can say oh i agree with that or i don't really resonate with that but you learn so much about each other and it becomes really fun Mm -hmm. and you can have a much better understanding of your partner yeah You, you know i i think that could be so i think a lot of Problems in relationships and really life in general stem from misunderstandings.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think when there isn't understanding, it's it's hard to feel as much ease and, and even love. And I will say one thing that's kind of tricky about the Enneagram in my experience is that, and this is, I think, partly why they emphasize, like, you don't want to type other people, let them figure out what their number is for themselves, um, because I think There are ways that it's so insightful and it can be kind of uncomfortable actually to realize which type you are. Like when I realized I was the nine, it kind of made me uncomfortable because I didn't really want to identify and like fully be honest with myself about all that that means. And I I liked the idea. For a while I thought I was a seven. My mom's a seven, but it's such a nine thing to basically merge and think you are what, you know, the person you're closest to is, which I I was, I've always been closest to my mom. Um. And for a time, I thought I was a four just because I was like so emotional and creative and uh, kind of deep. And uh, but I just realized, oh, I was I was actually just hanging out around a lot of people who are kind of that way too. <laughs> so, um, so my point is, it can be kind of a humbling experience to identify which number you are and which type you are in the Enneagram because it is so. Kind of revealing of the the beautiful parts of being that number and maybe the more challenging parts that maybe, like I know for myself, there were parts that I, I haven't, at least at that point, fully accepted. And so there's something kind of brave about it. And I think that's, that's something really cool about you, Dylan, is that you're able to hear about it and we read through the chapter and all that. And I feel like Especially in this book, it's such a simplified version of all of it. There's so little nuance that it can become almost like a caricature. Each type is like a caricature, and you were like, you know what? Yeah, that's true, and that's true, and that's true. And you're like, you're really willing to consider and face like the full reality of yourself, and not like that there's anything that's not great about you. But it's it can just be confronting, and I think you're very strong and wonderful.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it it was a fun experience. Was it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's that's what's interesting to me is the amount of fun I had. It's like you're just hearing things that make sense. Whether it's somebody else that you're trying to understand, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to type somebody. Some some people may not be into it, but when you read about it, if you have a relationship with somebody in any way, a coworker, a friend. Mm-hmm.
1: I know they do um, offer like enneagram like little courses at certain in certain workspaces. Like one of my clients, um, she had like they had like a whole group come in and and basically help type everybody or help them figure out what types they were and then do different exercises to kind of learn how to work better with each other based on understanding their enneagram types.
0: But even if you don't have that, even if some you're around people who would never do that, Mm -hmm. just by you understanding it, you can make Mm -hmm. your world and honestly their world better just by interacting with them well and,
1: and one cool thing is like even if even if you don't learn a lot about every single number part of the process of figuring out which type you are is that you at least spend a little time learning about each of the numbers and then even once you've landed on okay i'm let's say for example with dylan like maybe he's an eight so okay he's an eight but each number interacts with Um, potentially four other numbers because you have a wing on either side. So it's like if it's a circle and the numbers all go around it in a circle, it would be he could have a nine wing or he could have a seven wing. And since I'm a nine, I could have an eight wing or I could have a one wing. So you're going to learn about those to see like, oh, well, am I taking on more qualities of this number or this number? And then um, there's this really fancy shape. There's actually two shapes going on inside of the circle. There's a triangle that connects the nine, the three, and the six. And then there's this other shape. I don't know the name. I forget what it's called. That might. I don't know. It's it's a it's a strange kind of door doorway crown shape.
0: Oh yes, a circle.
1: Like no no it's like no it's like very complicated. Like a little no. It's the like spidery part that's in there.
0: Triangle.
1: It's no it's not Dylan. It's not that. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. But anyway, they you'll move throughout the enneagram throughout the different numbers to two other points on the Enneagram based on if you're more stressed or more at ease. Uh, and so I think with the eight, it was like two and five. I'm not, I'm not finding that part where it explains that. I, maybe it's elsewhere.
0: Anyway. It's the shape of a doorway with no corners or curves.
1: No, it's not a circle. There's <laughs> Google it. You'll understand what I mean. There's a fancy shape as well as a triangle. <laughs> um, that, it basically has seven points. It's like a seven-pointed little bippity-bop.
0: Don't Google it. Here we they go. want your DNA. No, here
1: we go. I found it. <sighs> a triangle and then a six-pointed shape, but it's not. An, it's not a hexagon. Anyway, it's hard to describe just with words, but my point is... Even if you just focus on yourself and discover the number that you are, you're going to learn about four other numbers on the Enneagram because of how they influence one another, which is really interesting.
0: When did you discover you were a nine?
1: You know, actually, one of the friends that was there at the Texas wedding, Laura, uh, suggested it to me. She's like, have you ever She's the one I liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: liked them all, but...
1: (laughs) You really liked liked her. Yeah, she's great. She's Well, she's so warm um, and just... Yeah, she's got a lot of light. But um, she said to me, and she was the perfect person to say it to me. She's like, and this is when I thought I was a 7, which is like the very happy, optimistic, happy-go-lucky, adventurous, independent um, kind of type. And she's like, Michaela, have you ever thought that you might be a 9? And she thought that she was a 2 for years and years and years. Her mom's a 2. Very loving, helpful. And 9s and 2s can often be confused. But 2s really want to help other people. They but and nines will often want to help other people but it's just because they want peace. They're based nines just want harmony and peace and like understanding. Um, so so they'll help people more just because they want there to be peace and and kind of comfort and ease whereas twos help others kind of cuz they want to get something in return or because they like like that relational exchange. And so it's mm-hmm. subtle but it is different. And um, so she had discovered she was a 9 and then she's like, "Okay, I kind of think you might be a 9." And then I started looking at that more and kind of reading into it. And I was like, oh, 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 I think I am. Especially when I look at kind of what nines do when they're really stressed. It's like, oh, that's kind of the stuff that I do. And even this um, nines have this tendency to like forget themselves and merge with others, like whoever they're around. And that's something that I really noticed, especially when I was younger. And that actually reminds me. The Enneagram, a lot of these types, they're really based on who we are when we're younger. So like 25 and younger. Because a lot of times we'll kind of evolve and we'll grow. And the cool You're thing... You're basically
0: like a Pokemon.
1: <laughs> oh, do Pokemon? Pokemon grow and evolve, right? They do. I never got into Pokemon because I was told in the second grade, as somebody who loved TY Beanie Babies, that the Pokemon industry was trying to destroy TY Beanie Babies. And I was like, well, that. They're on my shit list.
0: Anybody who says that sort of thing about anything is trying to destroy fun for someone. <laughs> There's room for everything to be enjoyed by everyone. I don't even... It was a kid who
1: said I don't even know. I'm
0: going to have to buy you a pack of Pokemon cards. I'm available for that. And a Beanie Baby.
1: Yes. And they could snuggle.
0: They could snuggle. They could
1: snuggle. Mm, sounds good. I had so many Beanie Babies, y'all. But that's a
0: whole other note. I did, too. I had Beanie Babies and Pokemon cards. Well,
1: look at you. They're totally a
0: separate thing. Whoever said that is so... F- I, I can't imagine a more stupid individual existing than someone who would say that.
1: Well, I imagine it was probably. Let's. I'm going to blame whatever adult said that, that then a child repeated it. Because I feel like my, you know, my friend was just. She was just trying to protect her people, her, be, her beanie baby people. We would bring our beanie baby. You guys, it's so cute. We would bring our beanie babies to school and play with them at lunch
0: together. That's really nice.
1: Like they would all have play dates with each other.
0: Was she a nice person? Oh yeah. All right. Well, I'll give her a little bit of benefit of the doubt then.
1: Yeah, she was just, she was just, you know.
0: Listen, I hope
1: it was just basically telephone. But if
0: she's listening right now, which I'm sure she is, we have <laughs> a lot of listeners. They tell me every week how much they love the show. Uh, if you're listening, I hope you sound like a cool person. But I hope you've corrected your stance, and have seen. Well, actually, Pokemon did kind of. Destroy Beanie Babies. That actually did come true. Are you sure? Well, nobody buys be- Beanie Babies anymore. Yeah, they do. Do they? Yeah. Not well, the there way, you go. Not the way they They both used exist to. then.
1: But Beanie Babies have changed. They have these weird big eyeballs now, and they're like all...
0: I totally thought they went out.
1: They're all neon, and... I, I thought they
0: went out of business. I mean, no, I don't... I'm no. so happy to hear that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. They're still coexisting. I
1: think, they, I think Beanie Babies look more like Pokemon these days, though, so maybe they like...
0: So Pokemon, they, they kind of... Oh, they got...
1: They got a little... They made
0: little babies. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's nice.
1: (laughs) You're nice. Look at your beautiful face. Thank you. He's got a really great nose. I don't know if you all have noticed that, but it's a good nose. I I like it a lot. It's just the right shape and size.
0: Boop. If you just look at my nose, it'll be a pleasant experience
1: for you. No, I like your whole face. I was just highlighting one particular aspect.
0: I feel very loved. Good.
1: Good. That's the goal.
0: And I've got a big sexy voice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're not allowed to listen to it. Turn it off now. <laughs> she
1: won't let anybody listen to his voice. <laughs> no, no, I won't. It's great. I like it. Let the let the meat cake, you know. Let the people <laughs> Let the meat
0: cake. What? What's that even mean? <laughs> You guys, relax. I'm just letting my meat cake real quick. You just sometimes you just gotta sit Not down. meat cake. You indeed. just gotta sit down, relax, and let your meat cake a little bit. Not let them eat cake. Oh, I thought you said let the meat cake. I'm like, what does that mean? I feel like I know what it means, but it feels a little dangerous to let my mind go there. Sometimes, every once in a while, life gets life moves fast, and you just gotta let your meat cake a little bit. <laughs>
1: Goodness.
0: Meat cake by Dylan and Michaela.
1: <laughs> no. No. You are
0: not allowed to listen to that. <laughs> Stop it.
1: Well, anyway. Another thing I like about the Enneagram, just to make this super official. <laughs> another thing I really like about the Enneagram is that it talks about how each number can evolve. So uh, or devolve. <laughs> if you're really going through a hard time, it's like this is where you're more likely to kind of go with your thoughts, your behaviors, all of that.
0: Damn it, I'm doing meth again.
1: (laughs) I don't think they detail that. I mean, maybe let's say addictive behaviors and things like that. I think certain types are more
0: prone. They did tell my type to beware of doing too many drugs. Yeah. That was in the book. It
1: was part of the advice was like, if you're dealing with an addiction, go to a rehab facility. It's like, wow, okay, that might that might be really common. With that it type.
0: literally said, "You may be you may be an eight if you've overindulged in drugs or food or food, yeah, because they're the same exact thing. No,
1: they're really they are the same. I mean, people can use them, you know, in, in addictive ways. I guess I don't know. That's a whole other topic, but yeah. But, but so I really appreciate that about the Enneagram because I it's think not I'd just... rather
0: be addicted to drugs than food. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah? I think so. You can look good on drugs. <laughs> you can also pick the drugs you're addicted to. Like if it's just like, you know what I mean? Like there's some drugs you could be addicted to and look a hell of a lot better than the food you're addicted to. Mm. You know? Yeah. I Looking mean... good is important. I would be really, really, really depressed if I didn't look as good as I do. <laughs>
1: Is that true? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that's true. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I like working out. I like feeling good and looking good. Mm. Honestly, if we're being honest, mm. if I couldn't work out, I think what I like is I like working out. I like being fit. Mm. Right? I like being able to move my body. Mm. And if I was in a place, which I have been from surgeries, et cetera, where I couldn't move my body... Mm then i would be I would be more depressed more so than I am now, and a result of working out is looking good, so it's like looking good is a symptom of what makes me feel good mm. so even though yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that, yeah, for the record, I don't think you should be addicted to anything other than what you want to be addicted to, mm.
1: Well, and we, I mean, addiction is something we were talking about uh, like a few weeks ago of like, what does that even mean? And that there can be such kind of murkiness with that definition. And sometimes it feels like that word is overused. Sometimes it feels like A lot like of people underused. use it
0: to judge others for their own insecurities.
1: Well, and I, I really like to be specific about like, okay, well, what specifically is going on with this person in relationship to a drug or a food or an activity or something. And like what goes on when they try to stop and what goes on when they go without it for a little while and what goes on when they do it? How is that impacting, you know, the other aspects of their lives? And so I think getting more specific is helpful rather than saying, oh, you're dealing with an addiction. I think sometimes that's helpful for people because then it it becomes specific enough where they're like, hmm, I got to focus up and address this. But in my mind, addressing things, I think... I don't know i just think there's a lot of stigma that can go along with that word and it can almost include like a certain sense of victimhood of oh well i'm an addict it's like well wait you're dealing with this thing that when when you don't do it you feel a certain way or certain things happen to you i do think there can be like physical dependence on things because you've you know had so much of a drug or alcohol or things like that
0: maybe you just like cocaine it doesn't have to be an addiction (laughs) <laughs> you're the one calling yourself that maybe you just like fucking coffee i mean i don't know it could go from cocaine to fucking water literally drinking water i'm joking but the reality is is that you could say anybody is addicted to anything mm-hmm. you really can mm-hmm. and a lot of people like to use it To judge others based on their own insecurities. It makes them feel superior. And
1: I think people use it as a way to judge themselves and even kind of cop out of like, oh, well, I'm addicted to my phone. And it's like, well, what does that actually mean? What are you actually saying? And how does that actually impact your life? And and, because I like to get specific because then you can do something about it. If you mean I'm addicted to my phone, it's keeping me up two extra hours every night when I should be getting sleep, and I'm not turning it off when I should be, okay. I love that. Well, then address it. You're maybe you need to, something specific. Yeah, maybe, okay, buy a safe so you can lock your phone in it, yeah. <laughs> or whatever you need to do, like, then you can Put address it. Put a timer on there. Yeah. That's
0: the same thing with politics. When you start calling people names, and you don't address anything specific, it's like, address the issue. Mm-hmm. Stop blaming because it doesn't get anywhere when you just cast these ad hominem attacks and addiction Mm -hmm. ad hominem meaning attacking the character and not the problem at hand Mm -hmm. and saying somebody's an addict um, I've known people who have went to AA right and they went to AA Alcoholics Anonymous and they go and they do all the steps and really their drinking wasn't a problem the problem really was the shaming from the people around them and then when they got to a better place where, yes, they can. Tr- maybe they drank too much. Mm. They this individual I'm thinking of ended up going back to drinking, but they actually drink in a healthy amount that makes them and their soul a lot happier. Mm. They found a way to balance it. The people around them have seemed to have accepted um, that it's that it makes them happy, mm-hmm. and it seemed they seem to be healthier and happier now more than ever. So sometimes I don't know if the answer is total abstinence from some of these things. I think there is a middle ground we can have in life. And so many people like these really harsh, um, Mm -hmm. what would you call it, like contrasts where it's just one way or the other and there's no in between. And this person I'm thinking of is very fit. They work out like hell. They work a really Mm. high paying, um, intense job that takes a lot of brain power. Mm. And they're a great family person, big believer in God. And they have a great balance with this. And I'm not going to name them, of course. But of course not. You know what I mean? It's just I really respect how they, I think it's a courage. I'll be honest. I think it's a courage to step out of AA, not to feel cursed, mm-hmm. like drinking is now a failure. Because then you feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And everybody else sees you as a failure. Mm-hmm. The fact that they had the courage to break out of that, be like, no, I, like, I just like drinking. Mm. And they do it in a way where they can really enjoy like a beer now.
1: That's huge. Well, and I wonder, I wonder, I you know, I don't know this person, but I wonder if going through parts of that helps them to realize, oh, wow, this isn't true for me and this is true for me. Here's here's where it's a problem. Here's where it's okay.
0: I think so. Here's
1: where I'm reaching for it when I actually should be reaching for more sleep or more time that fills me up because I'm spending it with people I love. Like, I think when we can explore explore our our. I mean to make it about the Enneagram when we can explore our motives behind things and like how we're relating to life and uh, substances and food and exercise and work and loved ones and all of that and really understand if if we feel like we're in right relationship with all those different things that there's a lot of beauty that comes from that and it's constantly evolving I feel like because we're constantly evolving.
0: Mm -hmm. And there's also people that They can't drink because they don't know how to control themselves. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I don't care if people are offended by that. That's not an alcohol problem. That's a person problem. Mm -hmm. There's something deeply wrong in your heart if you cannot control yourself.
1: Well, do you think it's wrong in their heart? Or do you think that could also be like a combination of maybe like mental illnesses going on or like a, a head trauma as well?
0: I like to say the heart because when you're happy with yourself in your heart, I think when it starts from the heart and you you pray, for me, it's prayer. It's going out there, having my morning walk and talking to God, right? I feel right in my heart. And when my heart feels right, then my head feels right. And then my body feels right. I feel like it starts there. And I feel like there's a deep unhappiness going on for people who can't have one drink without driving their car and getting a seventh DUI like for those people who can't have one drink and it turns to 35 beers mm. that there's i sense and I could be wrong I'm open to being wrong I love being wrong because it helps me learn how to be right mm. right I'm after the truth but I think it's deeper than alcohol there because a lot of those people are doing cocaine too they're doing things that are harmful for them and others right. I think I think there's a sadness in their heart I think there's a discontentness In their heart. And when you call it a mental illness, I feel like you're cheating yourselves Mm -hmm. by not searching deeper into your soul where the seed starts.
1: Well, that was beautiful. And and to clarify, I didn't mean calling that behavior mental illness. I meant if there's mental illness separate from that, like some other, you know, something going
0: on. I think most mental illness is is fictional. Mm -hmm. I think most mental illness is actually people eating glyphosate. Because glyphosate has been shown to mess with the gut-brain barrier, Mm -hmm. and people literally have lost... Look up Dr. Zach Bush. Mm -hmm. What's that channel we like? They illustrate.
1: Uh, Oh, After School with a S-K-O-O-L.
0: Look up After School, S-K-O-O-L with Dr. Zach Bush. They illustrate it for you. He's a brilliant doctor. He explains how people are literally losing their identities to glyphosate, which is in everything. Mm Everything. Everything. It's not
1: even like an added ingredient. It's it's water soluble, so it's in the rain.
0: It's in the air. It's on everything. It's in your shower. Yeah. So look at our. We did an episode on it. Uh, Food with Michaela McDonald. Check it out.
1: Food, but but okay, but I was what I was trying to do because I was I wanted you to talk about the layer around head traumas and all of that. So separate from mental illness, which I love what you said about that. I think that's beautiful. But what about like people who are dealing with. Head traumas and inflammation of the brain, and how that impacts like decision making, or I don't know. What two are, things I there. About that. Two yeah. things
0: there. I also did an episode on this with Dr. Mark Gordon. He's been on Joe Rogan like three times, mm-hmm. right? He covered this through the uses of quercetin in hormone corrective uh, measures and therapies. He has been shown to heal head traumas to the point where he says he does not believe in PTSD. Mm-hmm. And he helps veterans around the world heal. Documented healing, look him up, millenniumhealth.org, tbihelpnow.org. You can look at the proof of how he's helped these people, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't even believe in PTSD. So I think it's this mental illness slash head trauma is a mix of uh, glyphosate. It's a mix of microplastics destroying hormones, taking away our identities and making us fucking depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And I I believe it's the um, TBIs because TBIs have been shown to destroy your hormone health as well.
1: And then just all that inflammation in the body makes it hard for everything to do what it needs to do.
0: Right. And that can make your heart not feel good. You can, you can, when I say a problem with your heart, I'm not saying you're choosing to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that your heart doesn't feel good. Yeah. Right. There's something there that that doesn't feel good. And do not blame yourself. That's not how you help yourself. Love yourself first. Yeah right? Pray to God, do what you need to do. I believe in a higher power. You know what? But at the very least, just saying out loud the things you want to do and the things you don't like about your life, Mm -hmm. whether it's journaling like Marcus Aurelius did Mm -hmm. or praying, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is for you. I think acknowledging things with self-forgiveness is a great start. So healing your heart doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your heart. It doesn't mean it's evil or dark. Mm -hmm. I do think there's things attacking us from all ends, glyphosate, microplastics. Uh, You know, TBIs, head trauma. Most people have TBIs, Dr. Mark Gordon has said. Mm -hmm. They just don't know it. Maybe your mom braked real hard in the car when you were a kid and your head hit the dash. Mm -hmm. You can have damage from that now. Mm -hmm. And so people drink to self-medicate, and they don't know why they're doing it. They don't know why they feel like they need 20 beers to feel okay. They just feel like they're having a good time. But what they're doing is they're masking something they don't understand. Right. They get frustrated, and through that frustration, the only time they feel good is when they drink. And then anybody that tells them they drink too much, they get angry and says, I just I just like drinking. Maybe you do, but maybe if you were healthy, you could feel just as good with four drinks a night instead of 20. Mm-hmm. Right, That's moderation. Maybe you need to work out more and cut out the glyphosate. Well,
1: and actually, I think that points to an interesting aspect of this. And I I feel like I remember us talking about this when we were talking about addiction of the difference between uh, something that's like enhancing how we feel and like helping us feel good or even more alive or present versus using something where it's numbing us out, whether it's a certain volume of something. So then we feel numb or or the specific type of substance so that it's like a numbing experience. Because I do think, to me, that's a sign that there's some deeper pain. Like if it's too much to feel what's actually happening for you, and especially like get honest with yourself, and you need to numb out, like, okay, that's that's something to pay attention to. It doesn't mean, oh, don't numb out. You have to feel it and just be harsh on yourself. I think it's okay to try to soften the edges. Uh, but if that's, if that's becoming chronic, then it could be that you're like burying that, this piece that Dylan's talking about, right? Of like a deeper pain.
0: I was thinking about this today and I was thinking about what moderation is with drinking specifically. It was just on my mind. But in a general sense, that I was thinking about this in a broad way mm. the place where you watch plays. So, <laughs>
1: um,
0: if you don't know how much you should be drinking, well, let's say you have seven drinks in the night and you wake up with a little hangover that's your body telling you it was too much right let's say that you're depressed and you're anxious so you go to the doctor and you mask it with medication why were you depressed in the first place is taking more of something did our ancestors have xanax right our human bodies were designed to feel good whether you believe it or not they were designed that way so if you're anxious and you just go to mask it with something that's very new, misunderstood, causes addiction and hurts us in different ways. Maybe ask, why do I feel anxious? My body's telling me something is not right. Am I drinking too much coffee? Am I not getting enough sleep? Do I hate my job? Am I having problems in my relationship? Why would you how do you fix any of that by masking it with a medication? Why would you want to take away the signals, the beautiful signals that your body has that can come in the form of pain and anxiety? that t- is trying to help you fix something mm-hmm. to make you genuinely happy so that you don't have to take this little pill that masks it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to fix your relationship? Do you think that's going to give you the umph to get a new job mm-hmm. or to ask for that raise or to talk to HR because you're not being treated correctly? Yeah. Do you think that's going to get you into physical therapy because your knee's hurting? Mm-hmm. Right?
1: Right. Well, and that, that reminds me of something. Oh. I mean, feedback loops are so powerful. And yes, oh, this is the thing. There's so many studies that have come out around this. And I've heard about this because I work for the Tapping Solution, which is an awesome app, side note, um, and company. And they help with stress in certain ways. Uh, But they've, they've done a lot of studies that talk about well, they haven't done studies, but they reference a lot of studies that talk about our negativity bias. And this is something that Andrew Huberman was highlighting in one of his podcasts lately where humans we just naturally have like a built-in bias to notice the negative things more and to be more motivated by pain. And it's I think it's like a 2 to 1 or maybe a 3 to 1 ratio that we feel, you know, like we the amount of attention we pay to things. So one way you could say that is um, you'd need like three really positive things to happen to kind of make you feel like, oh, I had a good afternoon um, if there was also one negative thing that happened. That's like you need three to kind of make it equal or mm-hmm. maybe to outweigh
0: it. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, and so, so hearing you talk about all these feedback loops and oh, if we're masking a feedback loop, so then we can't really know how we're feeling and, and that we're experiencing pain, for numbing out or masking in whatever way um i i was just thinking about how wow and then it's like part of the gift of the negativity bias is it does incentivize us it does motivate us to to make a change it's much easier for us to it's so much easier to be like that's it i'm leaving when a room really really stinks or is like super uncomfortable temperature wise whereas if it's just like Oh, like if it's like oh it looks so nice outside but I'm comfortable in here, you may not go outside, right? So um, that was a good example. Good job, Michaela. <laughs> so anyway, I think I think letting pain exist in certain forms and letting that be information rather than judging ourselves for it or beating ourselves up for it or for experiencing whatever we're experiencing, just letting that be information of like okay. Let's go to work. Let's figure this out. Let's let's take the steps to alleviate this pain and to figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah. Have you ever noticed that people who are like hooked on drugs or in like nine different prescription meds or they're alcoholics, they tend to be overweight and very unhealthy looking. Mm. I think what's going on there is they've they've numbed themselves so much. Mm. Not it's really not their fault. The food industry, through addiction, they, they make foods that are purposely addicting, um, through alcohol, through medications by the pharmaceutical industry, which they, America is one of the only places that it's legal to advertise meds on TV, by the way. Really? A lot of countries don't allow that. Wow. I think it's us in New Zealand and that's it. I could be wrong, but a lot of places it's illegal. You can't do that. Anyways. Wow. That's lobbyism for you. Different episode, but... I think people numb themselves so much that they lose this this recourse they lose these signals so then they eat fifteen donuts or they eat pizza every night or they they're living in fast food lines and they're they're not able to feel. Those signals of their body saying, Stop, please, we feel horrible. They just up their Xanax. Well
1: and and I think even when they do feel it, the options that are being presented to them that are literally being shouted at them through advertising are options that are just going to create short term maybe some short term pleasure or short term numbing and then create more pain down the line. It's not like it's not like there's somebody out there just advertising and lobbying for like going on a ten minute walk.
0: Yeah, That's, there's no money in that. No. By the way, ten minutes, ten minute walks have been shown to be twice as effective at controlling your insulin uh, than metformin, the most highly used uh, diabetic medication.
1: Seriously. Yeah. How often do you have to take these ten minutes? I mean, we take a lot after of walks, every meal.
0: Right? You just oh. take it after every meal. Wow. Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up Stan Efforting. Uh very healthy guy. He's really up on this. He can cite the studies for you, but using your body, treating it well, keeping the signals alive, sometimes pain often is there for a reason. We don't feel it for nothing. It is there anxiety, fear. We've taught we've been taught to fear anxiety.
1: Well, and to what's the word? Oh, pathologize. Pathologize anxiety.
0: Yeah.
1: And pain. And yes, there can be actual pathogens or things causing those but there's also that signal that feedback loop that you're talking about
0: yeah now we have this this wokeism that's empowering people mental health awareness month and it sounds good but what it is is they're trying to make people feel good about taking 15,000 different medications what the fuck are you doing It, it listen that doesn't heal I've been down this road personally I've lived this path. I'm happy to do an episode about it someday.
1: That'd be great. I'd be happy to interview I've you.
0: lived through the hellfires of psychiatry and therapy and surgery, needless surgeries, and old therapies that have been proved to be wrong. And I have healed and gotten off of all of that, all medications, all of the physical therapy, and I'm happier and better than ever. And it's because I've gotten in tune with my body. Learning to listen to it is an art because we've been so desensitized that we don't know how to listen to our bodies in nature like our ancestors did. They yeah. probably took it for granted and thought it was just normal, and now mm. normal is is being numb and being offended at anything that doesn't feel comfortable.
1: Well, and you know, I think Sometimes when I hear the rhetoric around mental health awareness and all that, it it can feel, it can feel empowering because I can hear a a certain angle of that that's talking about self-acceptance and like, it's okay to be honest about how you feel, right? We don't have to shove our feelings down and not acknowledge them. So I think there's, it's like, there's this beautiful little, there's this, this seed of truth in that of like, wow. Wow how cool would it be if we as a culture could be more understanding and accepting and honest with ourselves about how we're actually doing. But then the part where it gets icky is where they're like, so let's accept it and give it drugs. It's like it's like, it's like like the pharmaceutical company just being like, oh, this is perfect. We can merge this movement of self-acceptance with our bottom line and basically make it a platform that accepting it means taking a drug. No, accepting it means being kind to yourself and honest with yourself and not beating yourself up for how you feel and being curious instead of critical. That's different than taking a drug.
0: It is. Do you guys think it's a coincidence that a lot of these woke narratives happen to make a lot of money for the world's richest corporations? You think that's a coincidence? I mean...
1: It makes me mad because, like in the example I just gave, they're taking these beautiful truths, these beautiful insights into how humanity can grow and be healthier and then twisting it around to basically disempower people
0: that's how they do it that's how that's how that's how communism gets started they prey on people's will to do good Mm -hmm. they make people think they're doing good Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden millions of people are dead Mm -hmm. time and time again Mm -hmm. in the last hundred years tens of millions of people have died through communistic takeovers And it all started from people's goodwill. So you have to be really careful when somebody's really trying to appeal to your goodwill. That's why Michaela and I empower you guys to search your own soul. Mm. Go out there into the forest, wherever you're at, nature, ground yourself, and ask, just ask yourself, ask your heart how you feel about something, right? I would be wary about listening to others who have something to gain from you. I would be wary about giving over part of your power because they promise you some sort of relief from something.
1: Right. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier how um, when you were saying, like, so many people don't feel good. Like, so many people kind of feel numbed out to their bodies and all that. And I was like, wow, we're sold the idea of feeling good and looking good, but we're never actually, like, given that through all these different marketed things it's like at least the big the big corporate level of things and it's like a a beautiful kind of heaven that they hold out and we're all reaching for it reaching for it reaching for it but then what they're actually selling us is this kind of numbed out um just like basically being reduced to like a helpless consumer where like all we're good for is um spending our money on their products
0: i don't i think that's brilliant I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the more plugged in we are to the system, mm-hmm. meaning the more we're eating fast food, the more medications we're taking, supporting the pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. the more of the mainstream legacy media we're listening to. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that the more plugged in we are to the system, the more reliant we are on the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just makes sense. Relying on something that can completely end your world at the snap of a finger is scary. That's why people like Candace Owens and Jordan Peterson seem, and J.P. Sears seem to be really respectful of the ideals of small government, more of a libertarian small government world has, where the community helps itself. Mm -hmm. The community sort of runs itself. You're buying your produce from your neighbor, Mm -hmm. right? You're buying your your meat from a local rancher that you know you have a relationship with them. Right, the, the and, people who are enacting your laws are people you know.
1: And I imagine, I, I, not that I've heard any of them speak to this, but I imagine there would be, um, government's role would be to step in with large corporations and break them up and uh, create fairness when it comes to the profit margins for diabetes medications or things like
0: that, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. The government's job, big government's job federally, is to protect the people and they're doing the opposite of that. That's beautifully put. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So anyways, um, if you're an eight, be careful <laughs> about doing way too much cocaine.
1: <laughs> what a beautiful uh, tangent we went on with all of that. I Yeah, well, and honestly, I feel like the Enneagram totally relates to everything we talked about because we're talking about human nature and how to be... Respectful of your heart and, and what you really want mm-hmm. and how to be respectful of the hearts of others and what they really want in life, and we're allowed to be different from one another we're also allowed to pursue what really makes us feel truly deeply satisfied in our hearts and souls and yeah I yeah. think that that's it's just it's fun to think about what what that might be and to learn about yourself to learn about others and I think that's really where the excitement and curiosity comes for you, Dylan, about the Enneagram. That's, I mean, that seems true to me. Is that, mm-hmm. is that true?
0: Yeah, I think the, what I like about the Enneagram and that's beautifully put as well.
1: Don't, <laughs> oh, Dylan. Honey
0: kitty, honey kitty. <laughs> i The Enneagram is about not only understanding your heart, but the heart of the human nature, mm-hmm. right? And that's what this all has to do with, understanding our hearts, being in touch with how we feel. Numbing yourself is not the answer to understanding your heart. Yeah. This all is about understanding the people around you and yourself yeah. and how to how to be with this world in a healthier happier way. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. So go take the fucking enneagram.
1: Yeah. Google it. Search it. I'm really excited. We're going to pick up this book from my mom's house this weekend that goes into it deeper. And one of the cool pieces that that includes is kind of like warning signs of like things to be aware of that you might be like kind of tweaking out um, for each type. I love that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really good one. So we should do a follow up and uh, talk about what we learned from reading that because I honestly don't remember what it said about the nine. And I'd be curious to read that again.
0: We have like Enneagrams episodes like Enneagram dash. How to know you're wigging out?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be great.
0: Enneagram dash I feel good.
1: <laughs> all is good.
0: Enneagram dash I did way too many drugs yesterday. <laughs> I think I'm an 8.
1: <laughs> this is that's really not all that the eight's about. They're very loyal. They're very strong. They protect the innocent. That's what I've seen.
0: I love you guys.
1: I love you guys too.
0: We're the biggest podcast in the world.
1: No, no. Whatever you need to tell yourself.
0: I'm pulsating. I love you guys. I hope you have a great week. I hope you've had a great week.
1: We're going to go finish watching the rest of Puss in Boots.
0: Puss and Boots.
1: Puss in Boots.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Antonio Banderas, maybe his best, best role yet as a cat. As a CGI. CGI? Is that? Yeah, CGI cat. I mean, it's truly stunning.
0: It's animatronics
1: set in the desert. It's such old school digital animation too. It's kind of rough, but I love it.
0: Yeah, it's CGI. It's beautiful. It's oh. really good, actually. Great. They do use hillbilly accents to highlight stupid people, and I think stupid, that's
1: very ugly. That's kind of fucked
0: up. JP or Sears talked about that. Yeah. But uh, anyways, it's still kind of funny. But yeah. anyways, uh, hope you guys have a great week. I really enjoy you guys being here. Michaela is starting a podcast called. Love Signals.
1: Oh, snap. I didn't know you were going to announce that. Can I?
0: I want to start putting it out there because by the time you put it out, people are still going to be listening to this episode in a year from now. (laughs) And I want them to check it out because it'll be up by then.
1: Sure. Yeah. Might as well. I mean, you already introduced me as Michaela from Love Signals. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Love Signals. A great podcast. I hope you listen to it. I may even be on it someday. We'll see.
1: Da-da-da-da-da. Yeah.
0: It should be out within, I'm guessing, in the next like...
1: 20 minutes.
0: Twenty minutes. <laughs> Buckle up! I'm really excited for it. I, I, I really am. It's Thank going to be you. great. I've had some inside details. I know what it's going to be about, but you're going to have to wait. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I love you guys. We love you guys. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Monday on Everyone Is Cancelled. Bye. My boy. I don't think he knows where he is.